Hi there, and welcome to the Live Boss Podcast. I'm curious, what do you think of when you hear the words athletics compliance? Far too often this conjures up negative images, sort of like the police for the NCAA. Well, that's partly because you haven't worked with the right compliance people yet. Let me introduce you to everything that is right about NCAA compliance. Please join me in welcoming the Director of Compliance at UNC Charlotte, Hank Harewood. Hank, could you please introduce yourself? Hey, Wes, thanks for having me on, man. I really appreciate it, and uh, I'm excited for the opportunity uh, just to get to talk with you uh, and, and hopefully share some good insight with the audience here. So thanks for having me. Um, like you said, my name is Hank Carrollwood. I'm the Director of Compliance at UNC Charlotte right now. So uh, in, our, in our reporting structure, I go up through uh, an associate AD who oversees compliance, student-athlete welfare, uh, championships, and some other stuff. Um, I... I, I take care of a large part of our compliance function here uh, because in the past I have um, overseen compliance functions uh, at, at different FBS institutions. So uh, a little bit on the, on the background there, I, I came up here after some time at uh, FIU as the Associate Athletic Director there and before that Louisiana Monroe in the same role. Came back up here due to um, my wife's career which actually brought us back home in North Carolina. Uh, so we're excited to do that a few years ago and get to come home. Uh, and I was really, really lucky to um, to land at a place like Charlotte around people uh, that I really enjoy working with and, and to get to stay in a field that, that I enjoy and that I have good experience in. Uh, so I, I have resigned myself to going back and practicing law, but I'm really excited that uh, I had the opportunity to stay in college athletics and, and continue to take advantage of the people I know and athletics and, and the things that I really like about the field. So uh, here at Charlotte, I oversee compliance for several of our sports, um, men's and women's soccer, track, volleyball, the golfs, uh, the tennises, baseball and softball, and very involved in women's basketball I help oversee as well. Um, have a lot of input on, on basketball and football, of course. Uh, and then I, I oversee a lot of our NCAA reporting and specifically our APR, some of our sports sponsorship stuff. Um, uh, and I also, one of my main functions is to oversee our education program. So we have a very robust education program that touches all of our athletics department constituents and our boosters and our campus constituents and certainly our student athletes. Um, and also oversee eligibility. And so all of our transfer eligibility, continuing eligibility, uh, our squad list record keeping, initial eligibility for our incoming freshmen, that sort of thing, uh, I'm in charge of as well. So I'm sure everyone on the podcast is curious, why did you get into this field? That's a good question, and I get it a lot, uh, especially as an attorney um, who is, is barred in North Carolina um, and, and potentially soon to be a couple other jurisdictions. Um, you know, I get the question a lot of, of why I do this, and, and a couple of reasons. Um, it, it's different then than it is now. Uh, now, I would say that I, I really do like what I do. I don't worry about uh, Monday morning. I don't look forward to Friday afternoon. I mean, I, mean, I do, but uh, not in the same sen sense as some people. I'm excited uh, to be in here every day, and that's a function of a couple things, the content of the work I do, uh, but additionally, the people that I do it around. Um, that's why I'm here now. Originally, I got into it um, kind of by happenstance. I was trying some other stuff out after law school, doing a little law stuff and some other things, and uh, those weren't working out the way I'd hoped and as, as good as I'd hoped they would. And I knew I didn't want to put on a suit and go practice law 
every day. I, I never really had designs on going to do that. Even when I went to law school, I didn't have designs on doing that. It just sort of worked out. I was living my best life, hanging out mostly in Florida, uh, hanging out with folks and, and not really being a grown-up. And that is unfortunately an unsustainable way of life. So I went to uh, to law school uh, really just to buy myself a few more years to figure it out. My second year of law school, I did an internship uh, in the compliance office at Elon. I continued that through my third year, and, and after uh, I'd been out of law school for a while, I was able to uh, to, to get back into the field full-time, which has kind of led to the career it has. But uh, originally, it was, it was more happenstance than, than by grand design. So I'll say I'm very, very happy uh, that I, I did get into this field because I thoroughly enjoy what I do every day. And I was just talking to somebody earlier about uh, how important and unique that is, uh, right? There's a lot of us that aren't in a situation where we truly enjoy the content of our work. Uh, we might like where we work or the location that we work and get to live. Um, we, we might like a lot of things about it, the paycheck, um, but those of us that truly, truly enjoy the content of our work and are there uh, every day, I mean, I'd work seven days a week if they wanted me to. So I'm really lucky to be in the field, really enjoy it, um, and have carved out a good little niche, I think. Well, I can tell you based on our experiences together, you actually you bring so much you know, passion to, to what you do that those that are around you, it, you know, can't help but you know, get passionate about what they do as well. So just thank you for everything you do on a day-in and day-out basis, Tank. We really appreciate you. Well, thank you for saying that, man. appreciate it. So, you know, for the this podcast, we're targeting a lot of the new membership around Nakata and N4A. Uh, so hopefully with the, the audience that's listening, you know, some might have an interest in getting into the compliance field, and, and maybe they don't have the breadth of knowledge, uh, you know, to people who to ask and, and to ask questions of. So for your role, can you please give us an idea of what a day in the life would be like? Sure, and, and that varies widely depending on uh, what your role is, right? If you're a director to, to associate AD level, you probably are uh, fulfilling different functions than, uh, than what you would when you're first breaking in. So as a compliance coordinator, generally uh, first full-time gig, you'll help with some education for the most part. Uh, you'll probably oversee some combination of bylaws 11, 13, and 17. Now, this is most places. 11 is personnel, 13 is recruiting, 17 is playing in practice seasons. Uh, so most places you'll oversee some combination of those and probably a couple other bylaws. Um, you'll be doing probably phone logs and, and other monitoring functions and that sort of thing uh, as you continue to grow into the field. Um, won't take long. Uh, your day-to-day changes rapidly as you're exposed to more. There's just so much more that you do and, and learn and are exposed to, um, you know, as a full-time employee as opposed to being an intern or GA. So as you grow into the field, uh, you'll start doing a lot more things, probably things that deal with eligibility and financial aid, that sort of thing. And uh, eventually you get to the point where Many of us are now where your day-to-day is hard to describe because they vary greatly. So I may have a to-do list, but like a lot of us, uh, like you certainly, uh, and a lot of other people in athletics, uh, we have our nice neat little to-do list, and I show up at 7.30 Monday morning, and that goes really well until about 8.45. Uh, And then then the phone rings, and it's uh, a student athlete who – has a question about transferring and when they can get their permission to contact. And then uh, a coach stops by 
who has a few burning questions that they didn't uh, they didn't want to email or call about over the weekend. So you you give some interest to a coach and tell them what's okay and what's not, and then uh, it's probably another phone call, and maybe it's a parent or maybe it's someone who's looking to transfer here. Uh, so uh, like a lot of us, my day uh, varies greatly from day to day, but also in generally in how you intend it to go. Um, during the summer, I think it's easiest to break it up in seasons and in shifts. So during the summer, right now, for instance, we're doing a lot of uh, eligibility forecasting, so we're looking ahead to go ahead and try to get ahead of who's eligible for the fall and who's not, and we have terrific help uh, from our academic staff. Our athletic academic staff here is wonderful, and they know before anybody who's eligible and who's not for the fall. So we're talking through those things. We're getting APR ready. We're doing financial aid, renewals and non-renewals. We're helping a lot of student-athletes with transferring, and that's both in and out. When student-athletes transfer in and out, there's a bunch of paperwork that has to get done as far as uh, how how many seasons of competition they've used, whether or not they're eligible, whether or not uh, this is something that's changing, but whether or not the, the next school has the ability to even talk to them about transferring. So we're dealing with a lot of transfer stuff, a lot of eligibility stuff, uh, some NCAA stuff in regards to APR and that sort of thing. Uh, initial eligibility is obviously huge during the summer. Right now it's about a twice a week I, I ramp up. So in the May, in, in the May, early June, I'm probably once a week looking at every incoming freshman we have, which varies year to year between 45 and 50, all the way up to 60 to 65, depending on how big your recruiting classes are, and probably around 60 this year. So for 60 kids, we're looking at what's your initial eligibility look like? Is your amateurism done? Uh, have you sent in your high school transcripts? Have you sent in your test scores? Do you have a fee issue? Do you have follow-up questions pending about your amateurism? Do you have questions from the NCAA that you need to answer that we need to help you uh, work through? So we're doing a lot of NCAA initial eligibility day-to-day -day, uh, right now. That, that will ramp up to almost daily as we get into the later part of July. So we'll get into July, and that'll be almost daily trying to make sure we finish off all of our stuff. Uh, with domestic kids and predominantly with international kids as well who have had to wait a long time for certain transcripts and that sort of thing. So late July, early August, we're scrambling, making sure that all of our incoming student athletes are going to be eligible, that their financial aid is going to be okay, that they'll, they'll indeed be able to play for us uh, in the fall. Um, and then we move in the fall, we move heavily into certification season. Uh, so my, my days revolve around certification, who's eligible and who's not. And I have meetings after meetings with academic staff and the registrar and other people on campus. Uh, I rarely will call uh, deans and or academic advisors. Our academic staff does that, and they've created great relationships there, so they'll do that uh, very, very rarely if they're having a really hard time and then just say, hey, they may need to hear a different voice ask for this. Do you mind calling them? I'll call or email. Uh, but into the fall, certainly into August and into early September, revolves around certification, uh, getting your forms done, getting your roster set, getting the financial aid done. And so you're going through every student athlete and making sure they've completed the required NCAA forms, they've completed the amount of hours they have to complete, and they've done those other things uh, to represent your, your institution and competition. And, and as we get into the fall, we complete some reports, APR reports, towards sponsorship, that sort of thing. Um, but that is when our, our education program ramps up. Uh, we, we have a little lull there, uh, late September, early October, we start to slow down from the initial rush of, of August and September, and um, our, our waivers are all done and through and processed, and we, we know who can play and who can't. And so that's when we ramp up our education, and we'll do a lot of education with, uh, you know, the financial aid people on campus. We'll do it with the registrar. We'll do it with admissions. 
Uh, and then we'll certainly do it once a year with the important uh, folks in our athletics department. We'll hit the administration once a year. We'll do it with the ticket office, the athletic trainers, media relations, athletic academic center, uh, our tutors for athletic academic center, those sorts of folks, certainly our student athletes. Um, so we'll really ramp that up, and then we'll have a lot of individual meetings throughout uh, October and into early November with our coaching staff. And so I may sit down and uh, October and November, I may go individually to the track program twice and just spend 20 or 30 minutes talking to them about things that they need and uh, what's going on with their program from a compliance standpoint. And I'll do that with every staff that we have. Uh, and then as we get in December and January, a lot of the kind of the August, September redux, we'll do a lot of certification stuff and that sort of thing and kind of wash, rinse, repeat uh, in the spring semester. And then the spring, we, we prepare for summer and start looking at initial eligibility and scholarship renewals and roster size and that sort of thing. So your day varies greatly between some monitoring stuff. There's certainly a lot of times where we're out and about on campus, which is a super key function of what we do. We'll be out and about on campus and we, we try to make sure that we're seen at practices, not unlike you and your staff. We want to be at practices and we want to be at games uh, just so people know that, that there's a compliance component to what we do and just to kind of keep compliance at the forefront of their mind, I, I think that's important. So we're out and about a lot. We're meeting individually with people. We're meeting with, um, you know, coaching staff and student athletes and everyone else. Uh, there's a lot of conference calls specifically right now, some of it regarding new legislation, the changes in new legislation. You know, sometimes legislation comes out uh, and we're not all exactly sure of how we should implement it. And school A, school B, and school C uh, are all implementing it differently. So it's kind of, Kind of like I joke with my wife and I are both attorneys, so we joke all the time. Ten attorneys will give you 14 different opinions. Uh, that can happen when we're looking at uh, different legislation. They'll put out a proposal and a rule change, and eight schools will say, well, this is what we all think, and, and they'll all be different. So we have a lot of conference calls, both with our league and with other member institutions, trying to get through new legislation, figuring out how it's going to impact us and that sort of thing as well. So days vary greatly. Uh, that said, as you get through the, the things that you know you have to do, at least 30 to 50 percent of every day is coaches stopping by, coaches calling, student athletes coming by with an issue. Uh, you're sitting down figuring those things out and trying to figure out how you can best serve those constituents as well. Um, so, so the days are, are quite varied uh, depending on the season and just the day of the week and what comes up that day. With everything that you guys have going on in the world of compliance, you know, Hank, for you uh, specifically, what do you find most challenging about your role? Yeah, I, I think right now the challenging part um, is probably new legislation, but also trying to figure out how, um, you know, some of the, the legal issues may or may not impact our rule book and really the collegiate model. Uh, if the collegiate model changes, student athletes are impacted a great deal. Uh, but if, the, if there is a seismic shift in the collegiate model, then certainly our office is impacted a great deal because at that point, uh, if, those, if those sorts of things happen, right, some of these uh, cases that are pending, obviously O'Bannon and Jenkins were kind of through and we're, we're through the first CTE case, but there are more and more challenges to, uh, you know, to all kinds of stuff with the NCAA uh, and antitrust not being the least of them, I think CTE is going to continue to come up. And so as we get through legal challenges and, and as the landscape shifts, uh, if there is a seismic change in the collegiate model and in the rules, trying to stay ahead of all that uh, is, is challenging because as those things change, as, the, as 
you know, your university administrators and legal counsel and athletic directors get those emails about, you know, different things that are pending and what just happened in the Ninth Circuit and what happened in the Eleventh Circuit. And, uh, you know, in North Carolina right now, we've got some things going on in our state legislature that make it difficult um, and, and may change some things in our state in regards to college athletics. So staying on top of those things, trying to predict changes, uh, trying to be educated enough to give a very brief synopsis uh, to your university administrators uh, of what's going on, uh, convincing them that we're prepared to handle it and that we're going to be okay through this. Uh, and then day-to-day -day on campus in the athletic department, it's not unsimilar from a lot of things you've faced. Uh, the challenges are never the things you can see, right? We always know, um, you know, the things that are going on are never the challenges. It's the things that you may not know that are going on. And those are often simple and innocuous things. You know, there's a, a coach who, you know, worded an email wrong because they didn't think it, uh, you know, constituted recruitment when they sent the camp and clinic email, but the words that they put in there may have. Um, you know, those things that you can't look at, right? I always tell people we're an NCAA member institution. And so really in theory, uh, not in theory, practically speaking, the whole campus is responsible for knowing and upholding NCAA rules. And so we're about a, usually a four-person team up here. Uh, most universities our size are, are four, and, and the compliance functions will go up from there as far as the number of people that perform those duties on campus. Uh, so having three or four, even up to eight or ten people, there's just a lot to watch on your campus. So uh, the challenging part is day-to-day um, -day is um, trying to always make sure you're watching everything that needs to get watched, not, not just uh, the things that are directly in front of you, but looking at the things that have kind of become routine and become mundane, particularly at universities without high turnover. There's a lot of people who have been fulfilling certain roles that touch compliance, uh, for years and years, and they're in a process, and they're in a groove, and they know what they're doing. And if there's a rule change, you don't get that info out to them, or you feel like you do, but it wasn't clear. Um, you know, th those can be really impactful things for your campus. So trying to uh, trying to always figure out what you're missing is probably the hardest day-to-day -day part in compliance. And then, like you mentioned earlier, there's there's kind of a negative stigma sometimes. Um, we're lucky here. I mean, the, the folks that we work with here, our entire compliance unit. Uh, we're terrific uh, in the sense that we're very relationship-driven, all of us, not just me, but, but everyone in our compliance office is relationship-driven. Our coaches are super comfortable coming to us, and we encourage that. Uh, we encourage our student-athletes to come to us, and, and we get lots and lots. I'll get calls and emails through the weekend and at night, and student-athletes that come in during the day, coaches that do the same thing. 99% um, of our violations are self-reports from our coaches, uh, and that's just kind of a testament to the relationships we've been really intentional about building on campus. So if you're intentional about building those relationships, people understand you're going to work with them, uh, that you're not there to hurt them, uh, you know, then a lot of those challenges kind of take care of themselves. A lot of our coaches are really transparent, so we kind of know um, what's going on in their program. We know where their issues are. We know their personalities. They know ours. Uh, and, and at times, you know, they've seen us play uh, defense counsel for them. You know, as, as another school has said, hey, you guys did X, Y, and Z. And we've, we've had to say, well, listen, here's the rule. Here's what we did. You know, we think what we did is just fine, you know. Uh, so we fought for them really hard on waivers. You know, we've, we try to make sure that no is, is never an answer that we give, right? We always try to find a way uh, to get to – kind of a solution and a compromise that everybody's happy. And as long as your coaches know you're fighting for them, 
Uh, they know that you're not out to get them. You really have the opportunity to be part of a team, uh, which is a unique and rewarding deal, and I think helps a great deal in the overall institutional compliance structure when your coaches know that you're going to fight for them, they trust you, you trust them. Uh, it helps you stay away from what can be bigger issues on an institutional level because if your coaches are avoiding you, then you've got big challenges, right? So a lot of our challenges, we kind of try to work around by forming really good relationships, being upfront with our coaches, working with people every chance we get, being pleasant, being approachable, and that sort of thing. As a follow-up to that, what would you say is the most rewarding part of your role? Uh, so I think it, it, it's kind of like being an offensive lineman, right? You don't always get the credit you should. Um, but if, if you're if you're doing a good job, uh, there's I've heard a couple ads before say uh, that compliance is is one of the only parts of the athletic department, arguably the only part um, that can really sink an athletic department before lunch. You can have your meeting at 9 a.m. Your senior staff, we go in there and meet. Everybody talks. Everything's great. Um, 10 a.m. We leave. We all feel pretty good about the season ticket plan and about where fundraising is and our team GPA was really good. Well, something spins out of control between 10 and 12 and you found out that you've had coaches that are paying folks or you've had tutors that are, you know, crossing the line, that sort of thing. It can really start to sink the ship before lunch even gets there. So knowing that, that you are creating and implementing an institutional compliance program that protects the institution, uh, that protects your head coaches and your university administration second, um, is, is really a rewarding deal. It's nice to, to kind of know that you're on the inside and you're helping uh, fulfill a, a critical function. Uh, that's really rewarding. I, I think for me, though, one of the great parts, uh, it's, it's, again, an unsung hero type deal, but you get the chance. Initial eligibility waivers are my favorite thing to do. Um, so we'll have student athletes uh, who may not meet initial eligibility standards. Their test score may be short, their GPA may be a little deficient, they may not have enough core courses, and oftentimes these students, uh, it's through no fault of their own, right? They've, they've had maybe a high school administrator who didn't tell them, hey, you can, you can get accommodations on your test, or, you know, they've had to, they've had to have a job and, and help raise their family while they were in high school and just keeping their grades above a 2.3 was a little too much all at the same time. So, um, doing initial eligibility waivers for, for student athletes who are deserving of an opportunity to to be athletes, but also to go to college. Uh, I, I think that um, going to college uh, affirmatively 100% changes the trajectory or, or very, very certainly can change the trajectory of your life. So I think um, getting to fight on initial eligibility waivers to give students the opportunity to come to college to get a scholarship that they've earned through their athletics ability and through their character, um, fighting on initial eligibility waivers, finding out what could have happened, um, you know, really rolling up the sleeves and, and getting those kids on campus who need an opportunity, as you probably know, and a lot of your listeners probably know, um, you know, there's, there's a big correlation between going right to a four-year school after high school and eventually earning your bachelor's degree. So uh, the longer – after high school kids spend away from campus, the less likely less likely we are to get them back, the less likely they, they are to graduate, generally speaking. Uh, and so to, to be able to do initial eligibility waivers, to get kids here, to give them that shot at college that, that they may not otherwise have, 
uh, that's a really great thing, uh, a really rewarding thing. We have several athletes on campus I've been able to work uh, through waivers like that with, and, and they're doing great. Uh, almost every single one of them has a great GPA. They're really eligible, and, and they're doing a terrific job. They're terrific uh, student athletes and unbelievable citizens. And so getting the chance to do that and, and hopefully make a difference uh, that person and that family's life is a really rewarding deal for me, uh, kind of on a specific level there. So if I had to, if I asked you to pick just one thing, what is your best memory that you've had in your time so far at UNC Charlotte? Yeah, and it's weird. You know, it's not it's not really a big win or, or something like that. It's it's uh, some of the student athletes that I've done done waivers for. Uh, kind of the feeling that you get when when a kid's not eligible and they're afraid it's going to cost them their scholarship or when someone's not initially eligible and, and you get to do a waiver to kind of help them with that. Uh, those are the best memories. Uh, you know, the, the handwritten note uh, from a student athlete who's graduating um, because you, you did a waiver that kept them eligible uh, their fourth year that, that let them keep their scholarship, that, that let them come play their last season. Uh, those, those things are great. Since I've been here, I, I did a waiver actually three schools ago, about four or five years ago, for uh, a young man who's now in our industry, actually. No fault of his own. Uh, he, he had a tough break academically. He made terrific grades. Um, had a mix-up with his campus advisor and, and what was countable, what's not, from a degree of pickability standard. And so he had earned the right to go compete at nationals and, and uh, was deficient in some degree of applicable hours. And, and we really rolled our sleeves up and hammered home a waiver uh, really quickly for him to give him that opportunity that he had earned. And I got a really great note from him about a year ago, just saying, Hey, thanks a lot. And, you know, I, I never got the chance to like, thank you in person, but I appreciate it. And so those are the best memories, right? Those are the things that it, if you're in, you know, athletics enough uh, or for a long enough time, you're going to win some games, you're going to lose some games, but you know, the student athlete is, is leaving campus and they come by just to shake your hand and say, hey, thanks a lot. Or when you see student athletes that are going off into internships and that sort of thing and starting to go after their life goals that they've set out for themselves, those sorts of things are uh, infinitely more gratifying to me uh, than a win or anything like that ever would be. And I think Hank makes a great point there for the audience that's listening, especially if you are a newer or a young member in this organization, whether it's NACADA, N4A, if you're looking to get in compliance, whatever it might be, the more you get into our business, the more that you realize this is about relationships and it's about, you know, really, you know, being a servant leader in this process and building those relationships because you, you'll see that the, the payment that you get back from, from working with our kids is the greatest joy that we get from doing this. But with the NCAA, Hank, so there's the new transfer legislation, the football players being allowed to play in four games before redshirting now, uh, the commitment to time management that the NCAA has put out there. The NCAA seems to be more student-friendly moving forward. What are your thoughts on that? I would tend to agree. Uh, I think the student athletes have done a terrific job uh, kind of galvanizing their voice, uh, which has been great and it's kind of led to a lot of change. Uh, I think the transfer legislation is big. We can talk about that in a second. The time management stuff makes an impact, certainly. Um, <clears throat> even two or three years ago, the mail legislation changed a great deal. The cost of attendance, um, the financial aid legislation having changed. Uh, you know, for the most part, these are, are things that I think are good. I, I think at the end of the day, we all talk about student athlete experience. Uh, and it's really critical. And I think there's a lot of components to student athlete experience. And so I'm not one to discount I think better facilities and, and better coaching lend themselves to a better student athlete experience. Uh, 
Uh, I think better nutrition and more access to, you know, meals and entertainment does. I think the cost of attendance stipend was a great thing. Um, I, I love the new red shirt rule, right? So often you find find yourself, you know, in a game where you're, you know, you're five and six and you're trying to get bowl eligible and two running backs have been hurt and, and the third string running back goes down in the third quarter. And as a true freshman, you go out there and blow your red shirt because your your team needs you to tote the rock 12 times this one game, right? And, of course, we do it. Uh, but it, it's tough. You know, you lose an entire year uh, due to that. And so I, I love the new red shirt rule. I think it's a lot more friendly for student athletes. Uh, and I think it's better from a health and safety standpoint. I think kids will be less likely, hopefully, to, to play through injury or at least feel the pressure to play through injury. I think it's great from from that standpoint. The time management thing has been fantastic. Uh, I, I think many student athletes, probably not all, right? There's there's programs that are exceptions uh, across the board, uh, and, and with every rule, there's programs that are exceptions that it's maybe not as applicable to. But for the most part, I think m- almost all student athletes have been able to get some of their time back to to be more um, more of a a college student, less of an athlete. So that's a really good deal. I think we'll continue to see the trend. It started really two or three years ago. Uh, we can do more for student-athletes' families now as far as bowl game travel, postseason travel, that sort of thing. Um, more entertainment. We can provide entertainment all the time for our student-athletes, which is fantastic. Uh, our meals, you know, we can give them more meals, uh, you know, snacks, that sort of thing, which is not inconsequential. Uh, having lived with several football players in college, I was, I was there during the summer when they were coming back from, from workouts that may or may not have been uh, as, as voluntary as everyone thought or hoped, uh, you know, and they were trying to get seven or eight bucks together to go get a meal because they couldn't get their scholarship check during the summer, That those sorts of things, right? So uh, I'm beyond thrilled that these pieces of legislation are in place and, and can kind of lead to um, – a better student athlete experience overall, which is really critical, really critical for what we're doing. So uh, I think as uh, the student athlete voice continues to be heard, um, as uh, the media continues to uh, pay attention to the welfare of the student athlete, and really as administrators, uh, conference administrators, school administrators, everybody, we continue to say, you know, turn and reflect and say, what is absolutely today in the best uh, in the best interest of our student athletes, I think we'll continue to see more and more, um, you know, rules put in place that are student athlete friendly. I don't know that we'll ever get to a place uh, pay for play place. You know, uh, the name, image, and likeness stuff uh, is is certainly a hot button issue. Um, I, I have the opportunity as well to teach a graduate level sports law class, which I do. We talk a lot about these sorts of things. There's some interesting pending litigation. There's some case law right now that probably doesn't support that we'll ever get to a name, image, and likeness. You know, there's uh, some pretty good standing case law that makes it it'll be hard to break through the antitrust barrier for student-athletes. But that may not be a bad thing. I think there's a lot of unintended or can be a lot of unintended consequences as well uh, with the pay for play. So I don't know that we'll ever get that student-athlete friendly. Uh, we could. We could. I think three or four years ago I, I wouldn't have seen us be where we are now. Uh, as far as some of the rules and, and how friendly they are towards the student athletes, so we could get there. Um, you know, I probably would, would lean towards the side, saying we're further away from it uh, than I than I would think. But um, you know, I don't know that we will. Uh, as far as student athlete friendly, you, you have to mention the new transfer legislation that'll be up and running later this fall. 
student athletes will no longer have to seek permission to transfer, right? They can go in, let their compliance office know they're transferring, we'll put their name into a database and uh, coaches will be able to see who, who is intending on transferring from that institution. Uh, and within that portal, student athletes will have the opportunity to have a box check and say they don't want to be communicated with. Uh, so, you know, even within the student athlete friendly rules, we've we've become more student athlete friendly, if that makes sense. We've we've paid attention every step of the way to what is most beneficial uh, and what is best for the student athlete from uh, a health standpoint, from a well-being standpoint, but just from a, a general humanitarian standpoint uh, and humanistic standpoint, uh, we've really paid close attention to it. I think we'll continue to do that, and I'm really happy to see that. One of the things I like to do with this podcast is make sure that we're giving something back to the listeners, not just the the audio file, but then maybe something they can take away with them. With that being said, is there a book that you would recommend for our podcast audience? It could be anything. Sure, I've got two. I've got two. I'll say uh, my favorite all-time book uh, is called Ragamuffin Gospel by the late Brendan Manning. He was a, a good Christian author. Uh, but it's called Ragamuffin Gospel, and that's probably my personal favorite. I've read it several times and has a really good message that I've personally aligned with. So I like that. Uh, recently, I've read uh, My American Journey, uh, Colin Powell. So it's all about Colin Powell, his life. Um, it's a, a tremendous book. Uh, I've always really thought the world of, of Colin Powell. And, um, you know, the great guy, in, in my opinion, uh, Colin Powell is a terrific American and so I, I was really, really uh, happy to read through the book, My American Journey, which talks about him. Uh, it's a quick read. It's a pretty easy read um, from where he was born. You know, he was born in, in New York to Jamaican immigrant parents and, and really uh, was able to, to get to the highest point, uh, you know, of government and of military in our country. He's a terrific guy. Uh, I really uh, look up to him for, for a lot of reasons, but... Um, Colin Powell, truly the embodiment of the American dream and, and a great example um, that no matter where you're coming from, no matter where you start, uh, you can certainly go wherever you want to go in whatever career field you choose to go into. So I would say definitely check out My American Journey uh, about Colin Powell. We always like to try and end the podcast on a fun question. So if I were to give you an unlimited budget, what is the one concert that you'd want to go see? Where would you want to see it? And just as importantly, who's going with you? You know, you you know me well enough to know you, you might see the answer that's coming. Uh, it would be Jimmy Buffett concert. Um, and, and I would like to see him probably in the Woodlands, Texas, or Cincinnati, Ohio, because he has huge concerts there, uh, and, and they're a really good time. Um, he does a great show with, with huge shows and, and big parties for the tailgate uh, at those two places. So Jimmy Buffett, two places I actually haven't seen him yet. Uh, the Woodlands, Texas, or, or Red Rocks out in Colorado. Uh, both would be tremendous. Both actually kind of plan to get to next year. So uh, you can actually send the unlimited budget up if you'd like. Um, but I'd say I, I'm taking uh, my wife with me. We, we go to a lot of Jimmy Buffett concerts. And we have a terrific time. And, and so I would want to go see Jimmy uh, either in Cincinnati, uh, maybe at Red Rocks, or in the Woodlands, Texas. Uh, those would be my, my big three concerts I'd like to go see with an unlimited budget. I was actually thinking about you. I went to my first Jimmy Buffett concert this past summer. Uh, he came down to Miami, and my wife has tickets. Yeah. And it was an incredible time. And I, I can understand where you're coming from with that. Terrific. Terrific. Okay. 
Hank, thank you so much for being with us today, um, especially for our audience members. You know, we wanted someone like Hank with his background and experience. It's the entire reason why we created this podcast, to be able to get his knowledge and his best practices out across this landscape. So thank uh, Hank, thanks so much for being with us today, especially knowing how busy your schedule is. You can find more information on Hank and the UNC Charlotte 49ers, as well as links to purchase uh, UNC gear uh, at libmoss.blog. Uh, I'll also tag his books there as well, so if you're interested in picking up those books to be discussed, they'll be on the website as well. Hank, thanks so much, and I appreciate it, and have a great day, man. Wes, thanks so much for having me. And I'll, I'll say, too, uh, you know, if, if you're listening in, please feel free to reach out. Wes is connecting me with several folks um, that I, I, I love to be connected with people. So if I can help at all, please feel free to reach out. All right, audience, that's it for today. So thanks, as always, for listening, and don't forget, live moss.